Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. You know, how was that worship? Wasn't that great? It's, it's exciting uh, to be here. It was a, a good two and a half hour drive with probably about another hour of trying to figure my way through Green Bay to get here. So thankfully we uh, moved, came here yesterday. But, but it is an honor and a privilege to be here this morning. Uh, John and Michael, I have great respect for them. I have great respect for John. I look up to him. Um, as, a, as an older pastor, one who has more years in the trenches, pastoral ministry. And just being here this morning for these past, I don't know, what is it, half an hour, has been a blessing. It's been a blessing to my soul to see um, the hearts that are warm towards the gospel, warm towards Jesus, that have a desire that the hope of the gospel would be ignited in others around in the community. I want to start out this morning with, with a story. I was sitting at Chang Garden, which is a Chinese restaurant we have in Wasa, and I was sitting with a, a couple other uh, couples and some kids, and one of the kids asked me a question, which I thought was very indicative of the culture that we live in. And she asked, it was a, it was a brilliant question, I believe she was eight years old. She asked this question, she said, how do we know that the Bible is true because it's so old? And I thought that was a great question. And the reason I think it's a great question is it makes sense. How many of you, just thinking back to when you were growing up as a child, how many of you had a smartphone in your house? I see a couple kids raising their hands, so that's good. How many of you had wireless internet? How many of you had a social media account? How many of you knew what a social media account was? See, the world has changed. We're living in a world that has cell phones and apps. Churches have apps. We're living in in an age where there's social media apps that even I am not super familiar with. Have you, are you familiar with Snapchat? One of the things I've noticed in my use of Facebook and, and those kinds of social media things is there is a sense that we are, by habit, used to thinking of things in terms of days or hours and not weeks or months. So if something is old, it's not because it happened last year, it's old because it happened last week. So I titled my message this morning, Deuteronomy 6 Ministry in a Snapchat World, because I thought, what a better picture of this immediacy that we crave as a, as a culture than, look, I'll send you a picture of me doing something crazy, maybe make a goofy face, look like a unicorn, and it'll be gone in 10 seconds so that you can't sh- share it with your friends and embarrass me all over the internet. But there's this immediacy that we crave. And the funny thing is, is it may have a new form, but this has always been the case. We've always been a forgetful people, and this is why Deuteronomy 6 is so relevant to us today. See, God's word isn't like a Facebook post. It's relevant, it was relevant 2,000 years ago, it's relevant today, and it will be relevant into eternity. This is the God that we worship 
So if you have your Bibles, you can open them or you can read them on the screen, but we're going to read this morning Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. This is one of the most significant passages in all of the Old Testament. And you can quote me on that because Jesus said it. But listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God's word speaks, cuts through the clutter, and it speaks to us today. One of the first things that I want to draw from this passage is that we want to talk about this idea that ministry to kids and teens begins with the gospel. And we can see this in verse 4. I want to give us a little context. Deuteronomy is book number five in five books that Moses wrote. If you remember from Sunday school, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is kind of a summary of, of all, this, all that's happened. Moses writes some of his last words in the book of Deuteronomy. And we see here these words, as you remember in verse 4. I want to read them to you. I'm going to read them from the New Living Translation. And I'm going, to, I'm going to take out the Lord, which is what we typically translate as. I'm going to insert the personal name of God that he reveals to Israel. So I want you to just listen. Listen, O Israel. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh alone. And I hope you can hear the significance of God using his name in this way. See, the very name of Yahweh bears a history. See, it was Yahweh that saw his people in chains, in slavery to Egypt, and it says he heard their cry. And he rescued them from slavery. Yahweh rescued his people from slavery. So why is he giving these commandments to his people? Because he loves them. Because he has redeemed them. He's taken them from the pit and set their feet on solid ground. One could argue that if this had never happened, none of these books would be relevant. There's a rootedness in God's acting in love. When we hear these words, listen, O Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone, I want you to think of it like this. Think, I'm your husband. I'm your husband alone. Covenantal love. Love that is only broken by death. God cannot die. See, if we were to say the main point in Exodus, that God, it's the flashing neon, neon green light, it says God loves his people and he rescues his people. See, ministry to kids and teens must start here. Must start with that relationship. Must start with love. If you were to pull the gun to the Apostle Paul's head and ask him a question, and you said this, you said, tell me, right now, what's the gospel? And he spits it out, what would he say? He'd say, Christ's life, 
his death, and his resurrection. And it's all found in Scripture. That's what he'd say. And he would say, if Christ was not raised, then Christianity would be nothing. It would be worthless. And the whole worth and vitality of Christianity is bound up in the historical event, the historical life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Because Jesus is our exodus. And I love that we, we sang this song today. It was great. He was talking about the chains being broken, every chain being broken by Christ. That is the foundation for any ministry we do for kids. There's no greater picture for us of God's devotion to his people than the good news of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Paul references the transformative nature of this gospel in 2 Corinthians 3.18 when he says this, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're being transformed into the glory of Jesus. So ministry to kids begins with our transformation. Ministry to children and teens begins with our transformation. We need to be transformed because transformation begets more transformation. If I'm being transformed to be like Jesus and I'm, and I'm in close proximity to someone else, what's going to happen? They're going to see Jesus. What happens when we see Jesus? What happens when we behold Jesus? We're transformed to be like him. I hope you hear this morning. Process. We are being transformed. Something I, tell, I say regularly is the minute you trust in Christ, you are radioactive. You're transformative. You may not know all the answers yet. You may not have life figured out yet, but you're following Jesus, and Jesus is big enough to work through you. He's big enough to work through me. He's big enough to work through you. We need to be people who have the gospel engraved on our hearts. See, ministry to children and teens begins with our transformation, transformation in the image of Jesus. And it need, we need to be consistent and habitual about investing in our kids and teens. Verse 7 through 9 makes this clear. It says, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses. Ministry to kids and teens demands habitual, intentional investment. And this is, this is where I want to spend the lion's share of our time this morning. I want, to, I want to kind of dig in. We want to roll up our sleeves and get, get a little dirty. I want, I want you to go home today and say, what can I do today to put into practice some of the things that I heard So I want to go through seven principles. Seven principles that are the result of my reflection on Scripture and life. Principle number one. Think relationship first, not program. I think programs can get us off the hook sometimes. We say, well, there's a problem. There ought to be a program for that. You can see this even in in the way we, we interact with our government. Oh, there's a problem. You ought to do something about that. Sometimes that may be the case, but what about me and that 
particular person. Remember, relationship first. Because transformation is what? Personal. Transformation in close proximity yields more transformation. Principle number two, ask why. You can ask why as much as you want. If you've ever had a two-year-old, you know what do they do a lot of. Ask why. Ask why. And then answer why. Why do we want to ask why and answer why? You probably have all heard the story of of the woman who baked a ham and kept chopping off the end of the ham and putting it in the side of the pan. You know, she asked her mother, she asked her grandmother, and when she gets to the great-grandmother, said, oh, well, that's silly. We just had too small of a pan for the ham. That's why we did it. Just ask the question why. Because once you know the question why, you can ask a lot of questions like what? What is essential? What do we hang on to in this changing culture? And what do we change? What can we adapt? Principle number three, all of us need the church. All of us, including our children. I love Paul in Ephesians. In Ephesians, he's writing this grand letter that talks about God's eternal love for his church and how from ages past, he knew he was going to send the son to purchase redemption for us as his children. And in chapter six, what does he do? He says, children. He says, kids, obey your parents. As on to the Lord. See, Paul's not doing anything unusual here. He's just following Jesus' example. Jesus said, what did he say? He said, you need to be like a child to follow me. He said, let the children come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. But this was countercultural to Jesus' day and countercultural to Paul's day. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's countercultural to our day. Kids aren't, kids aren't important. They're not real ministry. Let's focus on on the adults. Principle number four, think in terms of cultivation, not manufacturing. I think this is important. See, when I was growing up, we always came home with a bean, from Sunday school, with a bean plant. And we'd have it in a little plastic bag, and you have a paper towel with water, and what happens? It sprouts. You have this bean sprout that starts to grow, and if you're like me, who wants to see things to the end, I take it out, I take that bean plant out, bean sprout out, and I put it in a, in a little pot, and I put it by the window. And I'm expecting to happen like the movies. I'm, I'm expecting Jack and the Beanstalk, but what happens? This, this, this little bean goes, and then starts moving along the counter, because it needs to get to the window. And as a 10-year-old, you're like, this is horrible. So what do I do? I get another bean, I plant it, I let it sprout, I plant it in the pot, and I set it by the window, and every day, without fail, I turn that bean plant just a little bit to trick that plant. So it starts going, I get this really funky spiral. But that's what kids are like. You can't grab the bean plant and go, you're going to be straight. You can't grab your kids and go, you're going to be like this. They're growing. And I think Paul gets this when he says, in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, I planted Apollos water, but God provides the growth. And that principle is true not just for Paul and Apollos, but it's true for us today and our kids. Principle number five, know your foundation and hang on to Jesus. Don't get sidetracked with methods or, or, or you know, this is, this is the way we do it. But remember that Christ is ultimately, it's about a relationship with Christ. And that's essential. 
Principle number six. Think life stage and development distinctives. In other words, there's no waiting room before we can begin discipleship with our kids. When they're an infant, you can start practicing reading with them. They're just sitting there. They might even be sleeping. You're getting used to this practice. You're developing a habit of learning before bed. Hey, I'm, I sit with mom, I sit with dad, and I read, I read a story. Very simple. There's actually, every time we bring Lydia, I've got a six-month-old, every time we bring Lydia to the doctor, she gets a new book. Because a doctor at the UW-Madison said, hey, this would be a good idea. I'm going to write a grant. I'm going to give money to hospitals to buy books to give to kids so they can read. They've seen how important it is to read to kids. What if you have a teenager? How do you, how do you think about development of a kid as a teen? What are questions that teens are asking? What are things that teens are studying in school? How do they understand their studies? How do they understand being a student in light of Scripture and the Gospel? And principle number seven, which I think is essential for us to be reminded again and again, think gospel transformation, not cultivation, uh, not, not manufacturing. Think in terms of gospel transformation. So if we were to say, hey, I've got kids, they've left the faith. I must have really messed things up. There's no hope. That's a lie. Because the gospel spares no man. It leaves no man behind. The gospel is continually knocking on our kid's door, knocking on our door, saying, come to me, come to Christ and be healed. So pray. Pray a lot. Pray for your kids. Pray for them now. Pray for them in their future. But remember to keep gospel transformation at the center of all that we do with kids and teens. Some of you are saying, okay, so that's great in theory, but what are some practical things? I'm, I'm a doer. I want to do something. Well, we'll provide, I'm going to provide you today with, with a target to shoot at. See, we can't, we can't take that bean plant and go, but we can, we can do things. I can take soil, and I can put a bean in the soil. I can provide sunlight through my kitchen window. I can water it faithfully every day. What are those things that I can do with my kids? We ought to cultivate habits. We ought to promote understanding and stir affections. Why? Because whether we want to believe this or not, we're always, always, always cultivating habits. Some of them are good. Some are bad. And whether we want to admit it or not, we are always changing in our understanding so we're either changing to be more, think more like God and the way God thinks about his world, or we're, we're making up our own way of thinking about God's world. And number three, we are ultimately driven to do what we most want to do. Unless I'm locked in my room, I'm going to do what I want to do. And any of you who have kids know this. This is, this is true. Like, if I can do it, I'm going to do it. If I want to eat a whole tub of fr- chocolate frosting, I'm going to eat a whole tub of chocolate frosting. I may not feel good afterwards, but I'm going to do it. And here's the deal. We can't tell a kid, love Jesus, and make them do it. It doesn't doesn't work. 
Just like you can't grab that beanstalk and go, stand up straight. Children, we can't, but you know what? If we're honest with ourselves, we can't do that ourselves either. We can't say, love Jesus. Aaron, love Jesus. I, I, I can't make myself do that. But what, what can I do? I can go after some of these externals. I can cultivate habits. And I can, I can grow in my understanding. So we want to be about cultivating right habits. Promoting correct understanding. We want to stir our affections towards Jesus and the gospel. So I want to, as we're cultivating good habits, I want to think through categories in terms of life stage. So we, we've touched briefly on this, but this will be something you can work on when you go home. What are some habits I can form with my fill-in-the-blank? So if you have an infant, a toddler, teen, someone out of the house, or, or even yourself, what are some things that I can do with, with this age group? How do I grow the understanding of my second grader? How do I stir the affections of my teenager? These are, are questions that we, we can ask ourselves and we can be prayerful about. And remember this, kids learn holistically. Kids don't learn from just what we say, but how we say it. Are you being transformed by Jesus? Are you being transformed by the truth that you are teaching to the toddlers? Are you being transformed by the message you're giving to the teenagers? If we talk about the gospel as mere fact, our kids will learn exactly that. The gospel is a fact to be memorized and regurgitated. The gospel is radioactive. We can't handle it without being contaminated and transformed. We've got to communicate that. When we share our need for the gospel, are we talking about our need for the gospel? Am I talking about my personal need for the gospel? Okay, I want to I connect this discussion to our church here, Southside. So Southside's mission statement, some of you might be able to, to recite it. It's got three components. Connecting you to God, each other, and the world. Community and world. And I love it. That's exactly right. Those three components, how do we build habits and understanding and, and stir the affections of our kids in those three areas? I've actually simplified it just for, for people like myself who like things really simple. I like things to be so simple I can just hang a hat on it. So let's just simplify that to God, church, world. Does that work for you guys? You guys okay with that? John, I hope that's okay. God, church, world. Let's think through these, these spheres together. God, how, how can I cultivate habits, promote understanding, and stir affections towards God, towards the church, or the world. And I want to I put a lot of emphasis on this idea of the world because I think, how do we do that with our kids? Our kids are in the world, most of them, like they're going to school or playing in sports. But how do we cultivate right understanding towards the world? How do we cultivate the right affections towards the world? We're, my wife and I, and Lydia, of course, we're sitting down to dinner with, with a family from our church. And they, they told us this story of, of, of a, a neighbor kid that came over quite frequently. And sure enough, while we were eating dinner, we heard the knock on the door. And, and the, this young man came to their, their door and said, hey, can I, can I play? Can I play with Johnny? 
And they said, oh, yeah, we'll have Johnny give you a call. We have company right now. 45 minutes later, he's knocking at the door again. This time he's got his swim trunks on. He's got his towel over his shoulders. And he's got his goggles around his neck. He means business. He's ready. And he said, I heard they were playing outside. Can I go outside and play? They're like, sure, go, go on back. That's fine. But they shared the story about how they've been cultivating this relationship with, with their neighbor kid. And the week before, he had asked, can I go to that Wednesday night thing that you guys go to? I don't have, I don't have uh, sports practice tonight, and you guys go to, away every Wednesday night, which clearly means he's probably knocking on their door every Wednesday night. You guys are gone every Wednesday night. Can I come with? He went to youth group with them. And it started out very simple. Just saying, sure, you can play with our kids. Oh, fine. You went and got your swimsuit on, and you want to come play? Sure, you can go play in the backyard. I share this simple story because it's that simple. How can we be about reaching our neighbors? You have a game night, you have game nights for teens? Invite a few neighbor kids. Mix it up a little. Here's what I want to leave you with this morning. We live in a rapidly changing world. We live in a, a world that values the immediate and wants things to happen like a microwave. But God is the same God of Deuteronomy as the God we have today. So let's, let's just realize that sometimes things take a while. Let's just be faithful in those little things. Let's be faithful to cultivate these things. I want to leave us with this. We can look at, you know, buckets or words or these concepts we want to cultivate or promote or stir. But at the end of the day, I'm imperfect. I fail at this. All of us fail at this. This is, this is something, this is where the gospel speaks to us with words of hope. And we don't hear this this morning as an indictment, but as an invitation. So my challenge to us this morning is, let's step out in faith over the long haul and say, Jesus, these are your kids. We're going to do our part. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do this. But Lord, it's ultimately up to you. It's ultimately up to the Spirit. A.W. Tozer, uh, in speaking about the Spirit, he said this, he said, the Spirit is present wherever Jesus is proclaimed. That's so true. There's no one more excited about telling our kids about Jesus than the Spirit. So let's be prayerful. And let's know that there's grace for us even when we fail. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, just for the gospel. Lord, that, that who you are is the most important thing. That you you rescue, you're a God who rescues. You rescue us. And you will rescue our kids. Father, help us to be faithful. Help us, Father, to be, to be creative. To find ways to, to work in cultivating these things with our kids. But Lord, we ultimately ask that your spirit would be at work in our kids. Be at work in us today, Father. This week as we go home to be with our families, as we go out in the community, we ask that we would go out in power. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.